this is Kara Foster from First Christian Church, Disciples of Christ in Madisonville, Kentucky, and you're listening to our sermons podcast. And if you want to find out more information, you can connect with us at www.madisonvilledisciples.org or come in person at 1030 College Drive, uh, Madisonville, Kentucky. Subscribe and enjoy these podcasts. Here we are, the very last phrase of this sermon series of the Lord's Prayer. It's the conclusion of the prayer, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now we know, as we've studied this prayer phrase by phrase, there are about five petitions in this prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And after all of these petitions to God, it is wrapped up with a doxology line. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. My hope in doing this series on the Lord's Prayer is that we'll all have a renewed sense of the power of this prayer to shape our lives. We say these words every Sunday morning around the Lord's Supper table. We say the Lord's Prayer. It's our practice here at First Christian Church. But I hope that we realize that this is a prayer that goes with us in our lives. You, when you teach these words to your kids, when you offer this prayer in your own devotional life, I hope you will have a renewed sense of the power and strength of these words. This is a prayer that you can pray in the hospital bed. This is a prayer you can pray as you stand at the foot of the grave with your heart broken. This week, I read a story from a minister who shared about someone in his church who told him a story. She had been, she was the first onto a terrible car wreck where someone was um, perhaps fatally injured. She knew this one woman might be dying, and she called 911. She was the first on the scene, and as she was waiting for the ambulance and the emergency responders to arrive, she was realizing this woman was dying, and she saw that she was wearing a cross, and she told her pastor that her mind was totally blank in the stress of that moment, but she remembered the words to the Lord's Prayer, and she sat right beside her in that broken car and prayed those words with her. I myself remember the first time I ever had an MRI test. And um, if you've never had an MRI, I think they take about 30, 45 minutes. And they tell you that if you, if you can't handle the test, they have to take you out and you take a break. They have to start the test all over again. And they had asked me, are you claustrophobic? And I said, no, I'm not claustrophobic. And then they wheeled me in that little tube and I realized I had given the wrong answer. I am entirely, completely, incredibly claustrophobic. I have officially changed my answer to that question. And, I, and it was 
the 23rd Psalm and the Lord's Prayer and a lot of deep breathing that got me through that medical test. That this prayer is a prayer that can go with us throughout our devotional life. And our, our line of the prayer, the conclusion, as it's called the doxology, and for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And I mentioned in my email this week that I have a memory of saying this prayer at church camp when one of our counselors leading worship invited all of us to pray, first of all, looking up at the trees in the woods. And if you've never actually just took time to look up at the trees, it's an amazing awesomeness that's happening above us. And and then he said, I want you to start out praying the Lord's Prayer, and I want you to start in a whisper, and by the end, kids, get to your full voice. So by the time we got to that last line, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, we were screaming it. And I'm not going to ask you to scream it this morning, but I happen to think there's something about this particular ending of that prayer that warrants a raised voice, we are claiming for your kingdom, your glory, your power. Amen. This particular part of the prayer called the doxology is an expression of praise. That's what doxology means. It means to praise God. When we sing later on our service, we have a song we call the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flows. That's what it means to have doxology. It's to simply praise God. And this doxology, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, it is pure and total praise. It's pure allegiance to God and God's kingdom, not earthly ones. God's power, God's glory, God's power, and glory, and reign. This last line of the prayer happens to have a unique history. The doxology line is not in most modern English Bibles. There's the first scandalous mention of the day. You can pull out your Bible and check, test me on it. Uh, Matthew 6, Luke 11 are the two examples of the Lord's Prayer in the Bible. And most Bibles, most English-speaking Bibles today, when you look at it, will have an annotation. And it'll say something at the bottom of your Bible for you to say. For example, mine I checked this week said, Other ancient authorities add, in some form, for the kingdom and the power and the glory, yours forever. Amen. That's because the earliest and best copies of the Gospels don't have this particular line. If you go through history just a little century or two later, the line begins to be added in some of the documents. Even there is an early Christian um, writing historical document about Christian practices from the second century. It's called the Didache. And in that document from the second century, there is this line of the Lord's Prayer. It is there. So we know that very early on, as Christians began to formally worship and have a communal life, they added this doxology to the prayer. If you have ever attended a Catholic Mass, 
and you get to the Lord's Prayer, this is the part of the Mass where you're like, oh, I know this. We Protestants, we got this. Our Father who art in heaven, you start to speak a little more confidently, and then they stop. And you can hear the lone Protestant voice still speaking into the room, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And we show up every time we're there. That's because the Catholic Church does not say the doxology as part of their Lord's Prayer. So there you go. That is the explanation. Protestants, our own tradition has incorporated this Christian tradition that goes back to the early church. We know that Christians from the very beginning began to want to add this special doxology to the Lord's Prayer, even if it was not a part of the original teaching that Jesus gave us. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Stanley Hauerwas and Will Willimon have a wonderful book on the Lord's Prayer. I've quoted it several times throughout this series. And in this, when they write about this particular doxology of the Lord's Prayer, they write this. They say, here comes politics. They refer to this line as a pledge of allegiance to a king and his kingdom that throws all of our allegiances into crisis. Do you hear how these words are claiming an allegiance to God's kingdom, to God's power, to God's glory? That's why the idea of Christian nationalism is so disturbing and contrary to our very faith as the body of Christ in the world, as a follower of Jesus. Here in this prayer, we are claiming our allegiance to the reign of God. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom, not mine. Your will, God, not mine. Your power, God, not mine. Your glory, God, not mine. Yours. Yours. There's a French village in south-central France. And you're going to have to hang on with me here because I never had French, and I'm about to butcher it. So please, for all you French speakers, it's uh, Les Chambons sur Legnon. How'd I do? Anybody? That was pretty bad. Okay, it was pretty bad. <laughs> Anyway, so you'll have to find it. It's a small village in south-central France, a rural farming village. And why they are on the map in history is that they are known because this village worked together during World War II when France was occupied by the Nazis. They worked together to save over 5,000 Jewish men, women, and children. They hid people amongst the farms in the countryside. They also changed papers and forged documents to get people safely into Switzerland. This little village in south-central France did this. They saved all these people's lives. In fact, they even, there's even a part of the story is um, they had a visitor from a government official uh, with the Vichy government, the, the part of the French government that was cooperating with the Nazi occupiers, and this Vichy government official showed up, and the whole town had a very subtle way of protesting his presence in the village, and it even culminated with some high school students that walked up to this uh, government official and handed him a piece of paper that they had all signed that was all of them saying that they, um, they were appalled by what the French government was doing and rounding up Jewish citizens and sending them away to camp, and they were absolutely 
against what was happening. And people have studied this little village. Why, what was it about them? What was it about this particular Christian community that made them willing to stand up to the powers that be when sadly, tragically, so many other Christians, those that claimed to be followers of Christ, ignored or participated in what was happening? And there's a movie called um, Weapons of the Spirit that I really recommend. It's a documentary about this entire village and what they did. And what this documentary was trying to do was to figure out what it was about this particular community that made them so extraordinarily willing to risk their lives. And one of the things that they learned is that before their work began in trying to save people and protect people, their pastor of the village church gave a sermon, and they still have his notes from his sermon. And this is what he said one day. He wrote, he said, the duty of Christians is to resist the violence that will be brought to bear on their consciences through the weapons of the spirit. We shall resist when our adversaries shall demand of us obedience contrary to the orders of the gospel. We shall do so without fear but also without pride and without hatred. So this pastor, Andre Trofe, says to his congregation one Sunday morning, we shall resist when our adversaries shall demand of us obedience contrary to the orders of the gospel. A rural farming village in the middle of nowhere, France, risked their own lives to save others because they didn't forget. Yours, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Theologian Karl Barth has a famous quote about prayer. He says, to clasp hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. The Lord's prayer is a prayer that reminds us of who we are and who God is. It reminds us of what kingdom we want to be in. And today, Pastor Andre and his wife Magda and 32 other villagers in that particular town are listed among the righteous Gentiles at Yad Vashem Holocaust Memorial in Israel. They didn't forget. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power and yours is the glory. I wanted to say one final word about this line of the Lord's Prayer, and it's about the word glory. When we pray, your kingdom, your power, your glory, we remember that we are praying to live lives that seek God's glory, not our own. And glory, actually, it's everywhere in the Bible. The Old Testament, the New Testament... The word glory appears everywhere. It, I actually looked it up. Over 480 times it is in the Old and New Testament. Glory, glory, glory. There's all kinds of examples. The angels proclaimed their glory to the shepherds in the field at night. Um, Hebrews, the letter of Hebrews says, The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. The Gospel of John says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, 
Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Ephesians, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Corinthians says, whatever you do, do for the glory of God. Again and again and again, Scripture reminds us that we have seen his glory. We have witnessed his glory. And we, too, can choose to live our lives giving glory to God. And I'm wondering today where you have seen his glory in your life. Is it in the beauty of a sunrise? The sound of a child singing? Is it experiencing grace and forgiveness in your life? Is it the strength and love of a family who's seen you at your worst and loves you anyway? Where have you glimpsed his glory? And whose glory do you want to live for? Is it my glory or yours, God? Whose glory do you want to live for in your life? I want to close this morning, and I invite you to say with me that last line of the prayer. I'm going to start us off, and I want you to join in with me, good Protestant people. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.